We're in a sermon series right now, as Kara uh, mentioned, based on the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Last week, I began by sharing with you a couple of mega goals that I have in mind for this series. And I wanted to review those today as a way of introducing things to us. Wouldn't it be amazing, first of all, goal number one, mega goal. By the way, a mega goal is a goal that only God can accomplish, but he calls us to cooperate. So the first of these mega goals is that God would use this series in order to create in our hearts and lives a greater passion for prayer, where we are praying faithfully, fervently, for the transformation of our children, our grandchildren, our church, and our communities. Such transformations historically have been called revivals. Revival is simply a time of great spiritual awakening and growth. And the interesting thing is, as it connects with prayer, every revival throughout the history of Christianity for the past 2,000 years has always emerged uh, as a result of a time of prayer. Just a few people getting together, praying for themselves, their, their church, their community, and then God shows up in powerful ways. It leads to the transformation of marriages and families. Values are changed. Social problems are addressed. People take God more seriously. High percentage of people in the community are converted to Jesus Christ. Even skeptics find Christ as Savior and Lord. It's just an amazing time. Wouldn't it be amazing if God were to do that right here? So that's the first of the mega goals that God in each of our lives would create a passion for prayer. The second one is that he would also use this series to develop in our hearts and lives what I'm gonna to refer to as a culture of prayer. Now with a culture of prayer, everything is bathed in prayer. So that would include right now, for example, all the things we're wrestling with, summits and mission statements and values and leadership matters and pastoral search and the vital church recommendations, all of these different things that we're dealing with right now, all of these would reflect a commitment to prayer. So how about you joining me as we pray privately and different settings like growth groups for these two to become reality, that God would use this series to create a passion for prayer in each of our lives, and secondly, developing in our church a culture of prayer. With those two goals in mind then, um, we're looking then at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave us this prayer as a model, as a blueprint, an outline, to follow. It begins with a preamble or an introduction, our Father in heaven, and that's followed by six uh, petitions or requests. Look at this chart that I've shown you now. I think this is the third week. But what I want to emphasize once again here <clears throat> is that according to Jesus, the normal pattern for prayer should begin with God and his glory before we consider ourselves and our good. Typically, at least this is my experience, those of us in the West tend to be so self-preoccupied that we tend to come to God rushing into his presence without a whole lot of thought, 
giving him our grocery list. Oh yeah, God, amen, and that's it. But Jesus is saying that's not what you wanna do. The normal channel is you begin with a focus on God and his glory, then it's about us and our good. We've already looked at the introduction, our Father in heaven and the first of these petitions, hallowed be your name. So we come today to the second, your kingdom come. What in the world does that mean? Well, I don't know, maybe some of the kids who are here this morning might think of the magic kingdom of Disney World or you know moats and, and castles and maidens and those kinds of things. Not exactly what Jesus had in mind. I think the last time our country had a king was back in the 1770s. King by the name of King George didn't work out too well for him, as I recall from my history. But that's not what Jesus has in mind either. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, you may want to write this down as a basic definition. So when we pray your kingdom come, what is the kingdom of God? <clears throat> well, it refers to the rule and the reign of God. Okay, it's the demonstration of the majesty, the greatness, and the absolute sovereignty of God. Now with that in mind, again, if we're to understand this petition, let me share with you four basic characteristics of God's kingdom. You may wanna write these down in your notes. First of all, the Bible teaches us that God's kingdom is not political, it's spiritual. Now what I mean by that is this. It's not about our creating some kind of a government structure. It's not about right-wing, left-wing nationalism. It's not about endorsing a particular uh, party candidate or platform. It's none of those things. Jesus on one occasion said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's spiritual in nature. Secondly, it's not a national kingdom, but international. So it doesn't have borders or boundaries, it doesn't have walls. It's made up of individuals in virtually every country around the world who knows and follows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Look at this verse in Matthew 8. Jesus says this, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, in other words, from all over, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So it's not political, it's spiritual, it's not national, it's international. Third characteristic, it has both a personal and a corporate or institutional focus. Now by that I mean, to use Jesus' language in John chapter three, when a person is born from above or born again, they can see and enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. So that's the personal aspect to it. When you become a Christ follower, you leave the throne of your life, Jesus occupies that throne, and he's ruling over every area of your life. He said in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within you. So that's the personal aspect. But as you and I, outside of this place, begin to influence our families, our marriages, our schools, our hospitals, our places of employment, wherever it might be, changes occur, and that also then is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. So it is both personal and corporate or institutional in that sense. The other characteristic, the fourth, kingdom of God has both a present and a future aspect. 
So Jesus says to pray, your kingdom come, that's future. But in one sense, it's already here, it's a present reality. Jesus talked about it often in many of his parables. He said this in Luke 11 verse 20, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So he says, whenever you see me dealing with evil in, in society, people's lives, whenever I'm healing people of diseases or transforming people's hearts and lives, you are seeing the rule and the reign of God. So in that sense, it has already come. But when you and I look out on our world, places like Ukraine right now, or even our city in the past few years in terms of racial strife and riots and sexual assaults and murders and all of these other things, we are very much aware of the fact that God's kingdom has not fully come. So there is also a future aspect to God's kingdom. The whole message of the scriptures is our looking forward, even as we sang this morning, to a time when all wrong is gonna be removed. All disease, all injustice, all sorrow, all pain, death, all of that will be gone and this entire world will be restored. So, to pray your kingdom come is to pray that the rule and the reign of God would come and extend over us, over others, over this world in greater measure now and then more fully in the time to come. But I wanna get more specific than that this morning and share with you four specific things that Jesus, I believe, has in mind when he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. What are they? Well, first of all, when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that people would know the king, would know the king. Now I'm using the word know here in its fuller biblical sense, not just having information about God, being aware of God, having truth about God. The Bible oftentimes uses this word know to refer to having affection for or love. Husband knows his wife. The Lord knows those that are his. Those kinds of statements are found all through the scriptures indicating a love relationship based on affection, okay? So the God's desire is that people would come to know him, that is to love and have affection for him. Now with that in mind, look at these verses from Jeremiah chapter nine. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let them boast, let those who boast boast about this. They understand and know or love and have affection for me that I am the Lord. Now more than likely, most of us probably have kind of a hero in life. Someone we look up to and highly esteem. For some of you, perhaps um, it might be an athlete, you know, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, uh, Steph Curry, it may be in the world of entertainment. Justin Bieber was recently in our city, okay. Uh, so it, it could be somebody from that world, or it's somebody from your business world, somebody from your schooling, somebody that if we had the opportunity to sit down with that individual, we would go, wow, that is really cool. We'd go tell our friends, you know, I met so-and-so. 
Did you have a conversation? Yeah. He said hello to me. Wow, okay. Well, imagine if it went deeper than that and this individual were to share with you all kinds of personal things like your friends. You would never be the same. Well, this verse is saying, you want to know something to really get excited about and to wow you? The one who is the king and the Lord of this entire universe of ours invites you to come to know him. Boast about this, you understand and know me. I love the way Abraham Kuyper used to put it. Abraham Kuyper was the prime minister of the Netherlands around the beginning of the 20th century, started the Free University of Amsterdam, and he would say this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So this majestic, glorious God of ours is inviting you and me to have a relationship with him. So you might ask, wow, that's cool. How does that happen? Well, Jesus tells us in Mark 1 verse 15, the kingdom of God is near. Notice, turn away from your sins and believe the good news. Turn away, believe. So you have to turn away from your own little self-centered kingdom. You have to climb down off the throne. You have to let Jesus be the CEO or the chair of the board of directors of your life, calling the shots. So it's personalizing the Lord's prayer and saying, Lord, may your kingdom come in me. Now, if that's already true for you, Jesus is here instructing you and me to pray that God's reign would come to the hearts and lives of people everywhere. So you're praying for the transformation of families, communities all around this world. Imagine if that could happen. Wouldn't that be incredible? So that's what we're praying for when we pray your kingdom come, that people would know the king in that sense. All right, secondly, we're also praying that people would serve the king. Because God's concern is not simply that we know him, but that we serve him. So look at it like this. If you're an average American, you will have lived a few more than 25,550 days. And this is how, on average, you would have spent your time. 23 years sleeping, 17 years working, 11 years watching TV, six years traveling, six years eating, two years dressing, and six months at stoplights. Yeah, there you go. I mean, is that all there is to life? Eating, drinking, watching television, working, and sitting at stoplights? Well, of course not. We all need a purpose to get us out of bed in the morning to face today, a purpose that's greater than ourselves, and friends, there is no greater purpose than serving the Lord. God made us to serve him, and if he's the king, what does that make you and me? Subjects. And what is the role of a subject to carry out the wishes and to serve the king? So to pray your kingdom come involves saying, Lord, you're my king. I exist to serve you. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Now let me share with you more specifically how this relates to you and to me in terms of daily life. 
You can't pray this prayer in earnest, this particular petition, without recognizing that it starts by serving him in the world through your work. When God created the world, Genesis 1 tells us that he gave the man and the woman a command. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over every living creature. That command has not been removed from you and from me. We still have that command. Sometimes theologians call it the cultural mandate, the command to subdue and exercise authority over this created world of ours. So God is the king and he's giving us the authority to be, as it were, his vice kings. Now that means we need to manage the planet. That means we ought to be concerned about how we use God's air. It's his air his water, his other natural resources, being concerned about creation care, about the, the environment. It means that we serve him through art and music and architecture and construction and law and science, technology, virtually all the other disciplines of life. So our work in the home as a parent at the office, at school, as a student, becomes an expression of our service for God. You know what? You get hold of that concept, it'll transform your attitudes toward term papers and final exams and even work-related meetings. It really will. Back in the design series, I gave you a quotation from Martin Luther that I just love. At a time when essentially the attitude of the world was, the only way we can serve God is by being a priest or a nun, Luther came along and said to farmers, God milks the cows through you. Boy, if you're in IT or sales or parenting or teaching, construction, whatever it may be, God is working through you in, this, in similar kinds of ways. So all of this requires prayer. And so to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, is essentially saying, Lord, may I demonstrate your rule in the world through my work. But you know, it also involves, secondly, uh, service in the church through our gifts, not just work in the world, or, yeah, but service in the church in terms of our gifts. Paul writes Romans 12 verses one and following, Offer yourselves to God dedicated to his service. Use your different gifts in accordance with the grace that God has given to you. So God has given you all kinds of abilities and talents and skills and life experiences, all kinds of things. And when you decide I'm gonna use this, these things, in order to serve others in and through my church, guess what? Amazing thing has happened. God uses you to transform the lives of others, children, students, adults, but at the same time, you know a measure of joy and satisfaction. Why? Because you're doing what God designed for you to do. So God calls us to serve one another, and therefore to pray your kingdom come means being concerned about serving him as king in the church through our gifts. So we serve him in the world through our work, in the church through our gifts, and we also serve him in our various relationships through our witness. On one occasion, Jesus compared his, king, his kingdom to a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. 
All kinds of people were invited to attend this banquet, and in essence, nobody came. And so he said this, Matthew 22, 9, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Well, if the banquet represents the joy of salvation, delighting in the grace of God, he's telling us, invite others to the banquet, okay? Your kingdom come is to pray that God's reign would be taken up in the lives of others. We're praying for the success of the gospel. We're praying for missions. Now, if that's what it means to pray this prayer, your kingdom come, there are some things that it ought to mean in your personal life. It means, for example, that you're gonna be praying by name for the salvation of family members and friends, acquaintances that God brings into your life. It's also gonna mean that you're gonna care for, pray for, financially support missionaries, like those working in Black Forest Academy. There you go, in Germany, for example, so that they can equip others to proclaim the rule and the reign of Christ. So, are you serving? If you want a purpose to live for that will excite you and get you out of bed in the morning, something that will enrich your life, you're gonna find it in serving the king in the world through your work, in the church through your gifts, in relationships through your witness. All right, number three. When we pray your kingdom come, we're also praying that people would reflect the king. So God's desire is that we reflect his character. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter eight. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. See the word know there again? had love for, affection for his people in advance, and he chose them to what end? To become like his son, to reflect his character. Once you understand that God's goal for your life personally is to make you like Jesus Christ, you begin to realize that everything in life, even your hurts, your disappointments, your struggles, all of these things can become character builders. Let me give you a couple of examples. Is Jesus forgiving? Oh yeah, he is. Does he want you to be forgiving of other people? Absolutely. How is God gonna teach you to be forgiving? Well, in part, he'll do it through Bible teaching because the Bible afterwards teaches us to be forgiving. But in addition to that, he'll also, at times, allow different people to come into our lives who hurt us in certain ways, say things that are demeaning, you know? And at that point then, I mean, if I'm never wronged, how am I gonna learn forgiveness? So one of the ways that God teaches us to forgive is to allow wrongs to come into our lives. Is Jesus compassionate? He sure is. Does he want you to be compassionate? He sure does. So how is he gonna do that? Well, in part by allowing some difficulties to come your way. When you, you go through a downtime, a difficult season in your life, his desire is to make you more sensitive and caring, especially for other people going through similar journeys. So there's not a, a situation in life that can't become a learning experience if we will ask the question, how would Jesus have responded to this?
So, for example, how about imagining changing places with Jesus when you're going through a difficult time? So Jesus is at the traffic jam. Jesus is dealing with a child who's throwing a tantrum in aisle three, you know, at the grocery store. Jesus is dealing with cancer. Jesus is facing the job loss. You look at the situation through the eyes of Christ and how he would handle it. God put you on this earth for a purpose, to know him, to serve him, but also to reflect him. Well, the fourth one I want to talk about this morning is this. When you and I pray your kingdom come, we're also praying that people would live with the king. God's kingdom is going to come in its fullness. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 13. The son of man, that's his favorite self-designation, will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all that who do evil. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. There's something like 300 references in the New Testament to the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he came the first time, lowliness, right? When he comes the second time, scripture says he's gonna come with power and great glory. History as we know it will end. There's gonna be a universal resurrection and a day of judgment to which all of us will appear before Christ in judgment and he's gonna hold us accountable. So for those who reject Jesus, a day of destruction. For believers, notice what Jesus is gonna to say to you. Matthew 25, come you that are blessed of my father, come and possess the kingdom which has been prepared for you ever since the creation of the world. And the Bible teaches us that on that day, you and I are gonna get a diseased free body that is imperishable. I mean, it says this in Revelation 21, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And then this announcement is going to be made. Revelation 11, the whole world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Can you imagine all that is broken, all that is evil and wrong in life removed, all moral darkness and disease and death and decay, and we're gonna be with our king throughout eternity. So when you're praying, your kingdom come, that's what you're praying for. You know, this is a hope that has got to impact our lives now. I recall reading the story of, of uh, Tom Monahan, who became a multimillionaire as a result of starting a business in his home city of Ypsilanti, Michigan, and that business became known as Domino's Pizza. But uh, Tom used to spend summers overseeing construction projects of churches in Honduras. And this is what he said. We have 5,000 pizza outlets. My goal now is 5,000 churches. I've always felt the most important thing for me is living for heaven. When I die, I don't think the Lord is gonna ask me how many pieces I sold. Yeah, I don't think so either. Well, that's allowing you see the hope that we have yet to come to impact our lives now. So friends, this is what it means 
to pray your kingdom come. Imagine praying that people in your family, people in your neighborhood, people at your school, your place of employment, would know the king, serve the king, reflect the king, live with the king. And so may your prayer life be shaped, at least in part, by the second petition. And I want to just ask you as we close the teaching this morning, is Jesus your king? Have you stepped off the throne of your life and are you allowing him to occupy the throne to rule and to reign over your, your life? May grant, God grant that that will be so. Then let's pray that people would know the king, serve the king, reflect the king, and live with the king. Let's pray together. Father, may you change us from our oftentimes self-focused ways of praying so that we care more deeply than we do at present for you and your kingdom. Lord, we pray that our families, our communities, even our church might know you more fully, might serve you more consistently, might reflect you more faithfully, and one day live with you and see your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.